the Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! <laughs> I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, oh, that's a very good question. Uh, hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky team, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. program. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Good tidings to you wherever you are. Good tidings for Christmas and a Happy New Year. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. We wish you a Merry Christmas from the Tom Sumner Show. Welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program. We're going to turn our attention to uh, uh, a, uh, a historical event and a new book that talks about the Lincoln assassination, John Wilkes Booth, and white supremacy. The book is called America's Original Sin by John Roadhamel, who joins me by phone. John, welcome to the show. Thank you, Tom. I'm glad to be here. Um Let's talk about this for a minute because we always uh, um, hear about that that famous moment when Booth leapt to the stage and yelled out "Death to tyrants!" or or I can't remember the exact phrase, but but we we think of this as being 
sort of the last act of the Civil War and not really part of any ongoing uh, um, philosophy of white supremacy. And, and you look at that part of it, the reasons behind the, the uh, assassination of Abraham Lincoln that day in April um, and the conspiracy in a uh, in a very different light in your book um what what kinds of things drew you to that what kind of research did you have to do to uh be able to make that statement well i've been studying booth and the lincoln assassination actually for uh for more years than john wilkes booth was alive he died at 26 um and uh i published a um collection of his writings about 25 years ago so i have been watching it since then and thinking about how i might make another contribution it's there's a tendency in american culture i think to try to dismiss assassins presidential assassins as madmen or or people that are deranged in some way who don't act for a clear political purpose and that's been true about the way we remember John Wilkes Booth he's often described as either a crazy person or a drunk who didn't act his 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 murder of Lincoln has been regarded as sort of a bolt out of the pathological uh, blue that had no political meaning and that that is completely untrue. It's clear that he was devoted to white supremacist ideology. He said so constantly. And in my book, which is in a sense a dual biography of Abraham Lincoln and John Wilkes Booth, we can see how as Lincoln moved rather slowly toward emancipation and black civil rights, Booth became more and more angry and distraught and of course the south was losing had lost the civil war so that upset him a great deal too what upset him the most about southern defeat was the prospect of the white supremacist edifice being turned on its head uh and he was very explicit about this and i don't think any other writer on the assassination in the past has really considered this that white supremacy was his principal motivation there have been uh, other writers who have talked about the conspiracy to kill Abraham Lincoln, but that was a conspiracy that was in the planning stages for a year. Was there any connection between that conspiracy, which didn't just include Abraham Lincoln, um, but um, some of his uh, cabinet as well, Mm -hmm. Was there any connection between that conspiracy and the attempt earlier to kidnap Abraham Lincoln? Well, there was, uh, yes, there were several conspiracies organized by the Confederacy to uh, kidnap Lincoln. And I think, or capture him, it, it would have been a legitimate act of war to capture the head of state of a, of a hostile power. But, uh, what is often not considered is that any attempt to capture Lincoln could easily have led to Lincoln's death. There could have been a shootout. 
Another thing people may not remember or may not know is Abraham Lincoln was prodigiously strong. He was 6'4". He was a very strong man. Well, and yeah, he used he would, to split logs and, and wrestle and... and uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, he was, a, he was an undefeated brawler of the, of the frontier. Uh, but anyway, there were, John Wilkes Booth initially conspired to to capture Lincoln, at least that's what he told his co-conspirators. He may have always had assassination as uppermost in his mind, but there were at least three other uh, independent conspiracies, some of which were run directly by the Confederate government, by Jefferson Davis. It's an interesting question. We, we don't know how involved with the Confederate government Booth was, but Two of his co-conspirators were spies that worked for the Confederate Secret Service Bureau. So there was some connection there. I don't think Booth was taking direct orders from the Confederate government in Richmond, but he was carrying out the wishes of that government. Was he the, uh, um, the leader of this group, or did he just rise to prominence because he was the one who took out the president no he was the leader and he organized this group on his own he uh conspired with confederate agents in in montreal he apparently got money from the confederate secret service bureau but uh and and one of his most important co-conspirators john surratt was a southern spy and helped him to assemble his group but he was independent. He was doing this, and he was very much the leader. He brought the others into it. Was Samuel Mudd one of the conspirators? I've heard different versions yeah, of that. Yeah, well, you know, his name is Mudd. Uh, Samuel Mudd was very much one of the conspirators. And, of course, ever since, his family has run this campaign to prove his innocence. But he was by no means innocent. I, was, I had one of them. I had one of them on the show back in uh, 2014 um, for the what was it? Yeah. The 150th anniversary. Uh, I think it was his um, great grandson, maybe. Probably. Did he say that his ancestor was innocent? Oh, of course. Yeah. And yeah. they were looking well, to get him pardoned. Oh yeah, that's right. Uh, he was not innocent. He was very much a uh, a member of the conspiracy, and naturally, because his neck was at stake, he lied like hell when the detectives came to him. He admitted that he had set Booth's leg. Uh, Booth's leg was broken, of course. He admitted that he gave Booth medical treatment, but he said he didn't know who Booth was. He hadn't met him before and that he didn't know Booth had just killed Lincoln, and none of that is true. Mudd was found guilty by a military commission and sentenced not to death. Uh, four of the other conspirators were sentenced to death and were hanged. Uh, Mudd deserved hanging just as much as they did, but he got life imprisonment, and then he only served four years of that. He was pardoned by President Andrew Johnson, but uh, uh, don't don't listen to the family on that. They're not uh, objective. Yeah, and, and wasn't his early release um, tied in some way to his work treating people 
Um, yes, uh, yes, exactly. During some <laughs> epidemic. You're exactly right. It was yellow fever. That's and right. He did. He did come forward and treat other prisoners for yellow fever. Uh, of course, they thought that was a brave act because they thought yellow fever was contagious, but in point of fact, it's not contagious. You only get it from a mosquito bite. You can't catch it from a sick person. But that's part of the reason he was uh, pardoned by President Johnson. Um, one of the other prisoners, one of the other co-conspirators, Samuel O'Laughlin, who was uh, also sentenced to life imprisonment, died in that yellow fever uh, uh, epidemic and in a federal prison. And, and I'm, I'm just trying to remember, it's been a while since I've looked at, at this uh, event in history, but wasn't there a woman hanged? There was. Uh, Mary Surratt, who ran a boarding house in Washington, D.C., and whose son was a Confederate agent, uh, she was she was hanged. She was sentenced to death by the military commission that tried the conspirators. Uh, they were tried not by uh, civil court, but by a uh, by a military commission because they were ruled to be enemy enemy combatants, sort of like the nine eleven prisoners today. And uh, the commission sentenced her to death, and she was clearly she was clearly uh, uh, guilty, but at that time, you, you really didn't execute women. And with their condemnation of death, they sent a, uh, a recommendation to the president, who was Andrew Johnson, that she be pardoned, that the sentence be commuted to life imprisonment. And Johnson refused to do that. So it was the first time the United States government had ever executed a woman, you know, a female, a lady. Yeah. It was unheard of. And to this day, many people have a great deal of sympathy for her and feel she was innocent and she shouldn't have been hanged and so forth. Um, she was certainly guilty. I guess she was less guilty than some people. Um, if she hanged, Samuel Mudd certainly should have hanged, but uh, or hung, I'm not sure what the verb is. <laughs> but what is it, do you know? Um, she should have been hung. Okay. Or, or okay. mud should have been hung, I, I think. I'm... Yeah. So it, there was something of a scandal, and she's had her uh, defenders down through the years. There was a book published called The Judicial Murder of Mary Surratt. Um, but in point of fact, while we may be sympathetic toward her, uh, um, because she was so wretched. She had to be carried up the stairs to the gallows. She was in terrible shape. She was, uh, she was too weak to walk. She was, she was suffering from some kind of female complaint that led to massive bleeding. And uh, they put her in a chair instead of having her stand with the noose around her neck. It, it, she's, she's a sympathetic figure in that sense, but it wasn't a miscarriage of justice. She was guilty. She knew what they were up to. And, and, and she participated. And maybe harbored people in, in her boarding house or something? She did indeed. Uh, several of the conspirators lived there. It was a Confederate safe house in the national capital.
More about the Lincoln assassination and John Wilkes Booth and white supremacy from the author of America's Original Sin, John Roadhamel, straight ahead. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know Janine's daughter. 
is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. And the Tom Sumner Program. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More about the Lincoln assassination and John Wilkes Booth and white supremacy from the author of America's Original Sin, John Roadhamel, straight ahead. I want to get back to this idea of white supremacy because this was 75 years before the Nazis and um, was this purely anti-black or yeah. or would in they, America or would they have been uh, against Jews and, and immigrants and, and other things as well? Uh, Booth was very bitterly prejudiced against immigrants who at that time tended to be Irish and German. Uh, they were different than the native stock of America, Americans. They tended to be Catholic and some of them didn't speak English. And most of those people, when they immigrated, they came to the North, not to the South. And many of them joined the Union Army during the war. So he was very bitterly prejudiced against uh, Irish and German immigrants. I've never encountered anything anti-Semitic uh, in any of Booth's writings or so forth. But uh, you mentioned the Nazis. It's interesting that uh, <clears throat> I, I, I quote him in, in my book that Adolf Hitler himself lamented that the South had lost the Civil War. Uh, he 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 very much supported the Southern Rebellion because it was a, a white supremacist movement, and it was setting out to create a white supremacist nation founded on slavery. And uh, uh, of course, and it said that yeah. the 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 Queen of England um, took an interest in the South during that conflict, well, oh. and was that purely economic? I think it was partially it was partially economic, but I think it was it was more ideological. I think the British upper classes, the aristocrats, saw the democratic experiment in the United States as something that was going to bring down their regime, which eventually American influence did. And I think they would have welcomed the dismemberment of the Great Republic. The United States was the only significant democratic nation in the world. The United States in 1776 had rejected, explicitly rejected monarchy and aristocracy. The Constitution says there'll be no titles of nobility. I think that the British upper class sympathized with the South because they saw the South as being on their side, as being reactionary and uh, pro-aristocratic. Well, and this was only what four score and seven years after the the revolution. 
Um, right. It, it, it hadn't been that long, so there probably uh, was still some residual uh, angst over being driven out of the colonies. Yeah, and there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of hostility between the two nations. Uh, one popular genre at the time was British writers like uh, Dickens, who would come to America and then write very negative books about American culture. They not only resented that America had broken away during the Revolution, but they saw uh, the American experiment in democracy as a direct threat to their aristocratic rule which it was. Uh, eventually, uh, the democratic example uh, put monarchy and aristocracy on a, on a road to extinction. There still is a monarch in England, of course, and there's still an aristocracy, but they don't rule the country anymore. And I think that's largely because of the, the example of the American Republic. Were uh, these white supremacists that gathered to conspire to kill Lincoln and others in his administration. Um, were they, did the Civil War give them uh, some sort of, of credibility to attack the, uh, the Lincoln administration? And how did they find each other? Was there an organized group or, um, you know, obviously they didn't have social media in those days. How did they find each other? Well, Booth found most of his co-conspirators through the uh, Confederate Secret Service Bureau, through their, their, that would be their CIA or whatever you'd call it. Uh, John Surratt was Booth's right-hand man in the conspiracy, and he was uh, explicitly a Confederate spy, and he helped Booth recruit most of his people. So there was also a nest of spies and subversives in Canada in exile who were conspiring against the United States, and Booth worked with them, too. Uh, so it was through the Confederate underground, but there were there were millions of Americans in the North as well as the South who hated Lincoln, believed he was a malignant tyrant who was going to overthrow the American democracy and set up some kind of African autocracy. They thought that Lincoln was favoring black people at the expense of white people. And so they were fighting not only for Confederate nationhood, but for white supremacy. And as I say, there were many people in the North that felt it. There were, there, were, there were millions of American men in 1865 that thought Lincoln would be dead, there was, should be dead. But there was only one, John Wilkes Booth, who actually went ahead and shot him. Lincoln, Lincoln was the... Uh, we know Lincoln as a sort of secular saint, as this great martyr statesman, but... At the time, uh, Lincoln was the most controversial and the most detested president in American history. Well, and and some biographers have have pointed to he was quite a bit more Machiavellian than we remember him. Well, he wanted 
to win the war, and he was pretty single-minded about that. Uh, yes, he. We 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 are often told about Lincoln's merciful side, how he pardoned sleeping sentinels who were sentenced to death. Uh, he gave clemency to Confederates sometimes, but. In terms of winning the war, he was uh, quite determined and quite uh, uh, cold about it. He did what he thought would 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 bring victory, including freeing the slaves. Some would argue. Yes, uh, he he always hated slavery, but when he got around to the point of an Emancipation Proclamation, he presented it to the people as as a war winning uh, uh measure it wasn't for the benefit of the slaves it was def- to defeat the confederacy and and he did not go out of his way to express a lot of sympathy for slaves simply because he knew there was so much anti black prejudice in his own country in the north as well that he always framed emancipation as a military option not as some kind of humanitarian crusade. But at the same time, Lincoln did, throughout his life, hated slavery. And this he just had an opportunity now, because of the war, to do away with it. Uh, the Southerners, when Lincoln was elected in 1860, they reacted with incandescent rage. They were just infuriated that an anti-slavery man had been elected president. And that's why they seceded, succeeded, seceded. I'm having trouble with that. But uh, I think if they had stayed in the Union and not seceded, slavery would have survived for years, might have survived into the 20th century. It was their leaving the Union and touching off the war that brought about the end of slavery. Lincoln himself said that. He said if those people across the river hadn't done what they could have done, I never could have freed the slaves. Interesting. Um, the The title of the book, John, you called it America's Original Sin, and I've seen that phrase used to describe slavery and uh, America's treatment of indigenous people. Um, how do you mean it for the purpose of this book? Are you talking about white supremacy itself, the Lincoln assassination, slavery? Why Why that title? I'm talking about white supremacy and slavery, and actually, no less a figure, I, I, I quote this, no less a figure than James Madison, the so-called father of the Constitution, referred to slavery as America's original sin. And uh, uh, various people, like George Mason at the Constitutional Convention in 1787, said explicitly, if we don't do something about slavery... God is going to punish this nation. And, of course, that's what Lincoln said in his second inaugural. Remember, he said, fondly do we hope, fervently do we pray that this mighty scourge of war may speedily pass away. Yet if God wills that it continue until all the bondsmen's 250 years of unrequited toil shall all the wealth piled up by the bondsmen's 250 years of unrequited toil shall be sunk and every drop of blood drawn by the lash shall be drawn by another 
shall be paid by another drawn by the sword, so must we say, as it was said 3,000 years ago, the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. And I, I apologize for quoting that at such length, but it, it encapsulates the whole thing. Uh, Lincoln was saying, and many other people were saying, that this vast civil war, which killed 750,000 Americans out of a population of only about 30 million, that this vast civil war was God's punishment for the sin of American slavery. Are there... Um are there comparisons to be made between contemporary white supremacists and the white supremacists who conspired to kill Lincoln and others? Yes, I think it's the, I think it's the same ideology. Fortunately, uh, it's much less widespread today. At the time, white supremacy was not an extremist radical. Uh, belief system, but it was it was pretty conventional. Uh, scientists, clergymen, journalists, politicians, all of them tended to believe that black people were in, were inherently inferior to white people. And of course, there are still people who believe that, but today they're a minority, and they are extremists. And most most Americans abhor them. I think. I hope. And and that that um, that widespread support for the idea of white supremacy was universal in the North and South. I, mean, I wouldn't say universal. Not universal is the wrong word, John. But but per, per, widespread, pervasive, widespread abolitionists who wanted the uh, immediate uh, end of slavery and who advocated equal rights were a minority. I, they didn't command, they were less than 5% of the voting public, I think. They were a small minority. Most people were, with most people were in the North were willing to let it, let slavery continue in the South. How well known was Lincoln's uh, anti-slavery sentiment known in the election of uh, 1860? Well, it was known that he, he abhorred slavery, and that was known. He made that pretty clear in the Lincoln-Douglas debates in 1858, two years before he ran for slavery. Uh, those debates, the transcripts of those debates, have been widely published. And Lincoln made it very clear that he hated slavery, that he thought it was evil, that he thought it was a stain on the republic that it was a repudiation of the greatest ideals of 1776. He made all those things very clear, but at the same time, he said, I, as a, as a politician, have no intention of moving against slavery in the states where it exists. He, wanted, he hoped slavery would, would be confined to the slave states. It would not expand into the West, and that gradually it would die out. And... He even said in 1858 that he would be satisfied if slavery persisted for another hundred years, so long as everyone understood that it was on a course of, quote, gradual extinction, close quote. So uh, he was, if, if you take that literally, that, that implies slavery surviving into the Eisenhower administration, for God's sake. 
he was a moderate on slavery. It was the war that made Lincoln an abolitionist and made most of the North abolitionists. The book is uh, called America's Original Sin, White Supremacy, John Wilkes Booth, and the Lincoln Assassination by John Roadhamel, who uh, is my guest this hour. Uh, John, we, we just have a couple of minutes left, but I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about what we're talking about. Now, obviously, the book is uh, a great place to start, and it's being released on, uh, uh, it's uh, been released on September 7th. 2021 uh just just came out this month um but uh is there are there some resources or or websites or places that you might recommend people who uh want to know more about what we're talking about could go to look uh yeah i'd recommend uh ford's theater ford's theater of course is the spot where lincoln the theater where lincoln was assassinated and it's now a national park service historic site and they have a lot of online material about the assassination about the conspirators about lincoln himself uh that's a good source uh a good uh a good rundown on my book is available on Amazon.com. There are, uh, if you if you go to that site under my name, John Roadhamble, you'll find the book with the other books I've written, and uh, it it reproduces the uh, uh, dust jacket copy, the synopsis of the book, and a bio of me and uh, various endorsements from scholars about about the book. Uh, it sells for twenty seven ninety five. John, about, what's, what's next for you? Uh, I'm not working on anything right now. I think I may do a book on the uh, Newburgh Conspiracy of 1783. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a, a George Washington scholar more than a Lincoln assassination person. Uh, in in 1783, the uh, the revolution was over, but the army hadn't been the the Continental Army hadn't been disbanded, and the officers hadn't been paid in years, and they talked about a rebellion. They were going to march on Philadelphia, and overthrow Congress, and possibly set up a military dictatorship, and Washington very adroitly squelched that and and put that down i'm not sure there hasn't really been a good book on it but i'm thinking about that have any books um and there have been so many books about the lincoln assassination is is yours uh the first book america's original sin to delve into um john wilkes booth's uh white supremacy uh, beginnings and, and pinnings that, that led to the actions he took? Yes, I'd say it was. Uh, it's no surprise to say that John Wilkes Booth was a white supremacist, but none of the former writers on the assassination have emphasized that or analyzed what it really meant. And uh, my book, I think, there have been some very good books on the assassination. Uh, Blood on the Moon by by Edward Steers Jr. is very good. But they tend to be detective stories about the murder itself. 
Mine is kind of a dual biography of Abraham Lincoln and John Wilkes Booth at the same time. I think I also put the assassination much more into the context of the Civil War era, military and political, than some of the other treatments, which focus on the conspiracy and uh, on the capture of the conspirators and uh, the trial and so forth. I do very little with the aftermath. What about the other other targets that night, April 14th, was it? Well, it was, yeah, the night of April 14th. 1865. 1865. And, of course, Lincoln was shot about 10.30 on April 14th and lived until 7.22 the next morning. So he died on April 15th. But at exactly the same time that Lincoln was being shot in the theater, uh, Lewis Thornton Powell, one of uh, Booth's co-conspirators and a Confederate spy, uh, tried to assassinate Secretary of State William Seward at his home, and he injured Seward and four other men very badly with a knife, but didn't manage to kill Seward. Uh, Booth also dispatched two people to kill Vice President Andrew Johnson. He also uh, tried to kill U.S. Grant. That was unsuccessful. And he probably sent one, someone to kill War Secretary Edwin Stanton. So if this had all come off as planned... He, at that time, presidential succession went vice president, secretary of state. Now it goes to the Speaker of the House as the third person. But what Booth was doing, was trying to do, was decapitate the whole federal government. And he thought that the confusion might give the South a chance to, to, to uh, recover from defeat. But the only one that died was Lincoln. And... Were the other conspirators as rooted in white supremacy, or did some of them have a different motive for participating in the conspiracy, you know, related to the war? Well, they, they were devoted to Confederate victory, and Powell, who, who tried to assassinate Seward, had been a Confederate soldier during a lot of the combat, but they were all... They were all white supremacists. They all used the N-word. They all talked about killing Lincoln because he was a friend of blacks. They were all white supremacists, yes. Well, it's uh, it's a fascinating look at, at a story we're all familiar with. It's uh, The book is called America's Original Sin, White Supremacy, John Wilkes Booth and the Lincoln Assassination, written by John Roadhamel and uh, published in uh, September of 2021. John, thanks so much for spending this time with me. It's a, it's a fascinating story and, and uh, some interesting, uh, it's, it's, it's almost breaking news maybe for some. In a way, in a way. Thank you very much, Tom. <laughs> well, take care, John, and, and keep up the good work. Thanks. It's been a pleasure. All right. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Once again, John Roadhamel, author of America's Original Sin. We'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. The Tom Sumner Program.com. We wish you a Merry Christmas from the Tom Sumner.
This is the Unknown Comic, and guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now. And now, and now too, and even now. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Lions. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's, that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview always. You, you, <laughs> it's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. The Tom Sumner Program is made possible with support from Seth David Radwell, a recent guest on the program and author of American Schism, How the Two Enlightenments Hold a Secret to Healing Our Nation, released in July 2021. As Publishers Weekly writes in its recent glowing review of American Schism, business executive Radwell's epic debut examines the historical influences that have led to what he sees as the collapse of politics in the United States. Seth Radwell makes the case that the current chasm between the American right and left can be traced back to the 18th century's Age of Enlightenment and the basic tenets of liberty, equality, and reason. American Schism provides a historical perspective that can help bridge current-day divides. American Schism by Seth David Radwell is available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and wherever books are sold. For more information, go to americanschismbook.com. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. 
More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. All oh, the Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. One very familiar type of song is the Christmas Carol, although it is perhaps a bit out of season at this time. However, I am informed by my disc jockey friends, of whom I have none, that uh, in order to get a song popular by Christmas time, you have to start plugging it well in advance. So here goes. It's always seemed to me, after all, that Christmas, with its spirit of giving, offers us all a wonderful opportunity each year to reflect on what we all most sincerely and deeply believe in. I refer, of course, to money. <laughs> and yet, yet none of the Christmas carols that you hear on the radio or in the street even attempts to capture the true spirit of Christmas uh, as we celebrate it in the United States. That is to say, the commercial spirit. So I should like to offer the following Christmas carol for next year as being perhaps a bit more appropriate. Christmas time is here, by golly, disapproval would be folly. Deck the halls with hunks of holly, fill the cup and don't say when. Kill the turkeys, ducks, and chickens, mix the punch, drag out the dickens. Even though the prospect sickens, brother, here we go again. On Christmas Day, you can't get sore, your fellow man you must adore. There's time to rob him all the more, the other 306 a day of war. Relations sparing no expense, send some useless old utensil, or a matching pen and pencil, just the thing I need. How nice. It doesn't matter how sincere it is, nor how heartfelt the spirit. Sentiment will not endear it, what's important is the price. Bark the Herald Tribune sings, advertising wondrous things. God rest ye merry merchants, may ye make the Yuletide pay. Angels we have heard on high Tell us to go out and buy So let the raucous sleigh bells jingle Hail our dear old friend Kris Kringle Driving his reindeer across the sky Don't stand underneath when they fly by (laughs) 
This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. Santa baby, put a package under the tree for me. Good girl, Santa baby, hurry down my chimney tonight. Santa baby, I want a little shopping mall, that's all. And I'll wait up for you, dear Santa baby, hurry down my chimney tonight. Think of all the fun I've missed. Think of all those fellas that I could have kissed Next year I could be so nice If you could just forget about that price ba do be doo Santa honey I want a yacht and really that's not a lot I've been an angel all year Santa baby Hurry down my chimney tonight Santa cutie, there's one thing I really do need, indeed, a year's supply of pantyhose. Santa cutie, hurry down my chimney tonight. Santa baby, fill my stocking with a duplex and checks. On second thought, I'd rather have cash. Santa baby, hurry down my chimney tonight. And trim my Christmas tree Bronner's decorations picked just for me Santa, won't you show me your love is true mm. Boop, boopy-doo Santa, baby, forgot to mention one little thing Or two You see, I want a Mickey D's franchise like the Deanna's have, and I want one of those souped-up, turbocharged, fuel-injected bowling balls that makes a strike every time. I'll show Higgy Taz intact that a girl can bowl, too. And I want almost everything in the Coldwater Creek catalog. Flip'em needs a lot of bird toys. Betty Reagan wants a four on the floor with a fifth under the seat. Ronnie needs a housekeeper. Dane wants a hunting lodge. Jason has a computer on his list. And Santa, my mom says all she wants is for everybody to get along for Christmas for a change. Oh, yeah, and that pretty German sweater in the window with the woolen mill to keep me warm while I'm waiting for you. Oh gosh, I guess the song is over.
it up for today's edition of the Tom Sumner program. Thanks for tuning in and thanks to uh, all the guests who were part of the show today. I also want to make a uh, special acknowledgement. The last couple of Christmas songs we heard uh, Ruthie Van Gilder and Stephanie, both of uh, Flint, and as I always say, our Christmas music is better than everybody else's because it's local. But I want to thank the uh, guests who are on the show today. John uh, wrote um, yeah, Road Hamill, author of uh, America's Original Sin, talking about white supremacy and John Wilkes Booth and the assassination of uh, Abraham Lincoln. Before that, we talked with uh, a uh, philosophy professor, Jason Damien Hill, author of What Do White Americans Owe Black People? Races, Racial Justice in the Age of Post-Oppression. And we started out this morning... Uh, on a happy note with um, Kenny Down, the author of The Mirror, The Window, and The Wall, The Life-Changing Power of Finding Your True Self. Anyway, uh, that's smoking George Winters tickling the ivories. Let me know it's time to head on down the hall to the living room, probably uh, wrap a couple more Christmas presents. Hope you've got all your shopping done. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. Good night, everybody. Sumner program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. 
Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And thanks for listening. 